0: Uh, originally I was gonna just talk about adoption out of Romans and I started backtracking in what the chapter had to say and I thought, well, it's really just to lead up to it. I think it's important we'll get the context of it this way. So if you'll turn in your Bibles back to Romans 8, and we're gonna look at verses 9 to 14 today, but I want to read verses 1 through 14. It won't take that long. And we'll deal with adoption, Lord willing, next week. And so Romans chapter 8. And if people want a title for today, it's God's sons are led by the Spirit. God's sons are led by the Spirit. So Romans 8, beginning in verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is hostile, enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, they cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, put to death, the deeds of the body you shall live for as many as are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god and father i'll just ask today we just bow our hearts before you lord in this communion sunday that you'll just show us lord what it means to to walk with you to be led by your spirit and to put to death the deeds of the body and you just make that clear to us and if we've not been on that track lord you'll just get us back on that track lord that we'll be putting you first in our lives and i thank you that you'll do that for us here today in jesus name amen so in looking at verses five to eight i want to go back through verses one to four today if you notice something there there are no commands he's not giving us any commands he's not telling us what to do. There's no exhortations. He's not telling us to do anything. All he's simply doing is describing the life, the mindset, and the purpose of the only two types of people that have ever existed in this world or on this earth. And he's describing the saved and the lost. He's describing what an unregenerate person is and what a regenerate child of God is. And there's nobody that is in between. Everybody in this room right now and in this world is in either one of those two categories. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either a regenerate child of God or an unregenerate child of Adam and of the devil. You're either living according to the flesh. And he says, if you do that, you'll die, or you're living according to the Spirit. And if you do that, you'll live. You already have life and peace. That's what he's saying there. And so he gives the characteristics we saw last week, the mindset of people that are in the flesh. And their mindset is the things of the world. They're worldly-minded people. They live for worldly pleasures and that can vary on how that can be I mean you have the one extreme of somebody that's into parties illicit sex in video games they just indulge that way or you could have the more refined sinners they're into the symphony orchestra Van Gogh paintings and fine wine <laughs> but what they have in common in their hearts are in love with the world that is what consumes them and they have no interest in the things of God and so It describes these people as this is how they are. They're in darkness. It says they're in enmity. They're hostile to God. And really the way that shows up is they don't want the God of the Bible telling them how to live and what to do. And they may be nice about it, but that's not going to happen. They're not going to let God tell them what to do. And so because of that, it says they're in a state where it is impossible for them to please God. The opposite end, though, he presents of the spectrum is those of the Spirit. And they have a mindset to do the things of the Spirit, for the things of the Spirit. So what's a person like that? They hunger and thirst after righteousness. They want to do God's will. They love God's word. They love God's people. They love God himself. And we said they have a true concern for the welfare of their own soul. That's where it all starts. Nothing wrong with that, right? But, and also they'll have a concern for the welfare and the souls of other people. We said that isn't just for a special class of Christians. There's not just certain Christians that are concerned about witnessing and evangelizing the lost or they'll spend time in prayer and with the Word. That's for all Christians. So you're either in the flesh and have a mind of the flesh or you're in the Spirit and you have a mind for the things of the Spirit. It's one or the other. There is no in between as far as it says. Thing is, it's a work of the spirit of God for those that are in the spirit from beginning to end. But who does he pick? We talked about, man, you think, man, I'm just not, not that spiritual or whatever, but it says he picks the weak, the foolish, the rejects. So everyone in here can lighten up, straighten up, you think we're all qualified. Right? <laughs> for sure, right? Well, listen, you could be in here today and you're talking about the flesh and the spirit and you're thinking, man, I've just never really considered myself very spiritual, a very holy person. So, I mean, I was convicted of my sins and I knew I needed Jesus to be my savior and I've said the prayer and gave my life to him, but I've always struggled with whether God loves me or whether I'm good enough to make it in the end. I think that is way more common that most people will admit, a lot of people struggle with having that assurance, right? But here's the question that we asked last time and I would ask it again. Do you desire to please God? Is that desire in there to walk pleasing to your heavenly Father? So maybe you think, man, my friends are interested, but are you? Maybe the people you hang around to, you think we just don't talk much about that, but really inside, are you interested, right? Because look what it says in verse 8. It says, so they that are in the flesh, they cannot please God. And why can't they? Why can't the people in the flesh please God? Because they have, as we said, no desire to submit to God. No desire in their hearts to walk in his ways. No desire to worship the God of the Bible. No desire to know him. It's just not there. Right? And if that's you today, it's time to get on your knees and call out to God to have mercy on you. And He will. But you say, hey, I maybe haven't manifested it, but I really do. It really is in my heart to please God. I just haven't done that good a job of it. (laughs) And I would say then, just repent and say, starting today, I will consciously begin walking with the Lord. I'm going to begin making it a point to pray. To talk to him in prayer, seeking him, learning to know him. And just ask God to forgive you for where you're at. And ask him to help you, and he will. Because this is the point. If you've been saved and you have the Holy Spirit, I'm looking at a group of people that that is the case. I would imagine that's the majority here. That's the testimony of those in this church. Here's what it's saying. You are able to please God. You really are. You're able to please him. You can walk with God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you won't live your life in the flesh. And that is normal Christianity. That's not abnormal or just like we were talking. That's just not for times of revival. That is the way our lives should be. That's the way our lives should be characterized. And walking with God is what every Christian is called to do. Walk with him and please him. Because look there at verse 8. And how it's contrasted with verse 9. He says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But Paul goes on to talk to them. He says, but you, you church, you church at Rome, you're not in the flesh. In other words, you can please God. Every Christian will have a walk with God. And don't let the devil tell you that you can't. And he will. Don't let him tell you you're not smart enough, you're not spiritual enough, you're not good enough. Because every Christian is called to walk and please God without exception. In Genesis 5, 24, it says this. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. But that's all it says there in Genesis. If that's all we'd have, we'd wonder, well, what all was going on there? What caused that? But the writer of Hebrew tells us this. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He walked with God and pleased God. Those in the flesh can't do that. We can do that. Enoch is not the exception. He really isn't. We can walk in that way just like Enoch. In fact, that is for every Christian we're called to walk that way. It's right in our New Testament. Did you know that? Well, let's look at it. Put something there and turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4.1. And Paul's pleading with the Thessalonians here. 1 Thessalonians 4.1. And it says that he says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, we beg you, brethren, and we also exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us, what does he say? How you ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more. He said, I've instructed you how to walk and how to please God. You're doing that. And he's saying, I just want you to do that more and more to a greater extent. And praise God, we can do that, right? We've been instructed for 30 some years or however long you've been here, faithfully instructed how to walk and how to please God. And we can have our mindset, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like Enoch. And I can do that, walk with God, and please him more and more. And then, guess what? Just like Enoch, it'll be the earth can no longer hold you. Right? That's what happened with him. (laughs) Got so (laughs) close to God, God just took him. And it says of the saints in Hebrews 11 that God is not ashamed to be called their God. You know, some people, they're ashamed of their children the way they act in public and the way they're just like I'm ashamed to say you're my child God doesn't do that (laughs) he looks on his children and maybe their worldly parents are ashamed of them because they're Christians but he's not he looks on them and he looks down and he says have you considered my servant Paul have you considered my servant Hannah or Mimi or Josh have you considered them there is none like them in all the earth that's what God would say blameless and upright men and women, ones that fear God and turn away from evil, eschew evil. Isn't that what God does? That's how we should be walking. He looks down, have you considered this one here? And that's you, that's me. And that's the way we should be. And those people like that in Hebrews 11, it describes them of whom the world is not worthy so we're saying, hey, we see the end times are coming. Everybody at Amen. That preached the book of Revelation in prison, the place would be packed out. Everybody can see clearly we're headed into the end times. And so we talk about we want to be translated ahead of that. Who are the ones that are going to be translated? It's going to be those ones that are walking like Enoch, walking and pleasing God. And then he was translated. Is that what we want? And I'm saying it's possible. Because Revelation 14, the first fruits, those first fruits unto God, those ones that went up first, redeemed from the earth, it says this of them in Revelation 14, These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. You think that's possible for that to be you? I think it is, and everybody's looking at me like I don't think it is. We need to start believing it is. Amen. Really, I'm getting a lot of quizzical looks out there. So back to Romans. Paul says those that are in the flesh, verse eight, they can't please God. But he says, not you. Uh, uh-uh. you're not in the flesh. Not you, Roman Christians. Not you, Shelbyville Christians. You're not in the flesh. Says you're not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. Oh, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. And he says, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And what do we have here again? Let me just put a little parentheses here in what we're saying today. This is another one of those Doctor Ware Trinitarian put on your glasses passages because we have the Trinity right here in verse nine. He talks about the spirit. And if so, be the Spirit of God, meaning the Father dwell in you. And then he says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ. So you have God the Father, the Spirit, and God the Son all talked about there. And when you have the Spirit of God, you have all three. Because as we've been taught, you cannot divide God up. He is one divine Spirit, eternally manifested as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you have the Spirit and we're a spirit-filled church, guess who else you have inside of you, living in you, the Father and the Son. That is what Jesus said. John 14, 23, he said, If any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Wow! Wow! Do we really believe that, that the Father, the Creator of all things and the Lord Jesus Christ dwells in us? We are now the temple where he dwelt before. We are the temple. There is no longer a temple. We are the temple of God. I mean, that is such an honor and a privilege. And you think about that. You're walking around. God, the Father, is walking in you. And that's what he says in 2 Corinthians 6. For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I mean, that is something to think about. It is. That's like way beyond. (laughs) But praise God. He's with us all the time. Never leaves or forsakes us. That's the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Father, in us and so there's two results we have of that if the Spirit of God is in you and we have that in verses 10 to 11 two results you'll have life in you verse 10 it says if Christ be in you the body is dead because of sin but the Spirit in you is life because of righteousness but if the Spirit verse 11 of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you and so what does Paul mean when he says your body is dead because of sin and all he's doing there it's no big deal he's simply referring to our connection to Adam and so we got we inherited something from Adam a perishable body because of his sin and ours and guess what Our bodies begin perishing the minute we are born. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the moment we enter into this world and begin to live, we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you will ever take. The principle of decay leading to death is in every one of us. And so you look at these newborn babies, you look at... Ben and Rachel's baby, you look at Tanner and Laura's baby, and you don't look at those babies and think death. You think this is life, this is going to be growth, this is new possibilities. But it's death, right? It really is. But you look at me, and you look back at my high school picture, and you're thinking, what happened? And I'm saying, it's death, it's decay, right? That's what it is. But look, it didn't start when I was 55 or when I started my receding hairline. And my wife told me it started when I was 21. I'm like, I don't receive that. Oh, no. You're going to give me wings like an eagle and all that. Well, all my wings have flown away, right? Birds and feathers, whatever it is. They're not there anymore. I praise God. But that's what we inherited. So he's saying it's death. We have death. You know, we don't get away from that just because we're saved, right? Everyone, we're looking around. We're still all getting old and gray. Well, listen. Paul, for those of us here that have a little shine on our heads, on the top of our heads, he had an encouraging word for us as we look in the mirror. It's in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Because he goes on to say, even though our outward man is perishing, we don't lose heart. He says, yet, our inward man is what? Being renewed day by day, praise the Lord. At least part of me is being renewed, not my outward man. And that's what the second part of verse ten is talking about. He says the spirit is life because of righteousness. Our inward man is being renewed day by day by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our inward man is being renewed daily. So the spirit of life is dwelling in us, bringing us the life of God spiritually. How is He doing that? He's bringing forth the fruit of the spirit is there, but also that life is there also to bring us healing. And as he's in there, we have the promise, though, of a future resurrection. Oh, man, we don't tend to think of that much here. That is a big thing. And believe me, the older you get and the idea of having that resurrection body, getting rid of this, Paul calls it a vile body. (laughs) Oh, man, that's a blessing because our bodies have not yet been redeemed. Do you understand that? We've been redeemed, but not our bodies. Look, that's right here over in verse 23 in chapter 8. Look over there. He says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, we groan within ourselves. Why? Waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. He's telling us there, that's something we're still waiting for. Mrs. Radulovich, she's got hers. Jamie, she's got hers. But the rest of us, we're groaning and waiting and looking forward to that day, aren't we? It's going to be here sooner for some of us than others, unless the Lord comes back. But praise God, it's going to happen, right? <laughs> but in the meantime, we can still have healing. So we're getting old, but that doesn't mean God won't heal us. I mean, ask Joanne Hill. God is doing a work in her. I mean, you know, all of what they said, all the medical people, all the, everyone else, where she's going to be, how long it's going to take. I mean, man went over there and saw her the other day, and she's just sitting there talking, smiling, laughing, fixing her food, moving her hands. She's able to write now. I mean, that's only been not long at all. And praise God, he's, you know, He's still there. That spirit of life is still there. Giving life to her mortal body, and it will give her a resurrection body. I'm glad. sure she'll be glad to see that. But in the meantime, he's not just left her alone. He's not left us alone, no matter what age we are. He still has promised us healing. And Paul said this, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. He's saying, I don't want to be just some spirit out there. No, I want a body. We're made to have a body. But he says, I want to be clothed upon that this mortality might be swallowed up. I like that term, swallowed up in life. That's what the resurrection is going to be like. And that's what we have here in verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, if he's dwelling in you, that same one that raised up Christ from the dead, he's also going to give life to your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Wow healing but that includes the resurrection our bodies are going to be transformed man swallowed up in life I mean I can't wait I'm telling you that will be such a blessing and we can be sure of that if you speak in tongues and have the Holy Spirit that's God's down payment to tell you that is going to happen you're not going to rot in the grave and just be eaten by worms and that's the end of you no you're going to be raised and swallowed up Your body is going to be transformed because that is not the end result of us. Death is not the end result of our body. Our bodies are going to be transformed and given a spiritual body. No more confusing thoughts, forgetting things. I mean, we will have a perfect body, spiritual body to express ourselves in and enjoy other people. Won't have to sleep and take naps. Praise the Lord. No more Saturday nights for me with an hour and a half sleep. Oh, no, just won't even care. Move right along. Every day's daylight. Every day's a sunny day. Be whistling, right? And there's a second result of having the Spirit of God dwell in us, and that's in verse 12. So the first result is we got the Spirit of life in us, that promise of spiritual life, the fruit of the Spirit, healing and and the resurrection and all that goes with that. But verse 12, here's the second result of having the Spirit of God in you. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, because of that, the Holy Spirit in us, he says, we're debtors. Not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. He says, for if you live after the Spirit, you'll die. But if you, through the Spirit, do crucify, put to death, mortify the deeds of the body, he says, you shall live. So we're debtors, but are we debtors to the flesh? He says, no, what do we owe the flesh What do we owe the flesh? Think about that. We've been set free from the flesh. That's what he told us at the beginning of that chapter. The flesh represents that law of sin and death. And all it did, all our flesh did, was send us to death. We owe it nothing. He says, but if the Spirit gives us life, which he has, hasn't he given you all life, the Holy Spirit, then we're indebted to the Spirit. To do what? To live the way he wants us to live. We're in debt to him. We can't live just anyway. We've got to put to death everything that that flesh that we owe nothing, everything that flesh desires, we're saying, no longer, buddy. I'm through with you. You're going to death. All its impulses, all its desires. Oh, they're still there screaming and kicking and putting their fist, pounding on the floor. So think of it this way. What if somebody's trying to kill you? And they got their hand around your throat, and you're turning blue. You're about ready to go. And a passerby stops by, and he gets hold of that guy. There's this great struggle that takes place. He finally subdues that person and saves your life. And that guy gets arrested. police come, take him off to jail, and he sends you a letter demanding that you pay his bail and his lawyer. He says, because... Look, if you weren't walking down that street by yourself, I wouldn't have been tempted to attack you. So he's making these demands on you, and you think, man, you are crazy. I don't owe you anything. You were trying to kill me. The only person I owe is that kind person that came and delivered me from you. Isn't that what Paul's saying here? What do we owe the flesh? The flesh was going to send us to the pit. We owe it Nothing. We owe everything to the spirit of life that came and freed us from that tyrant, that slave master called sin in our flesh. Owe him everything, don't we? But here's the thing. The flesh is going to make us feel like we owe it. It's going to make us feel guilty. You've had a hard day. You're not going to stay up and pray for this person that you know is in a major trial. No, no, no. Because if you don't get enough sleep, you wake up, you're grumpy. You owe it to yourself to get some sleep. That's the way the flesh will talk to you, right? <laughs> you, have got to minister to yourself, not somebody else. Or your flesh will shout, man, did you just see what that guy did to you? He's texting and he swerves into your lane, almost killed you, almost drove you off the road. Don't act like you're just going to die out and let it slide. No, let him have it. He needs to know, and you need to do it for the next person so he doesn't do it to them. Isn't that the Christian thing to do? That's how the flesh is going to talk to you, Right? That's what your flesh will do. My flesh, maybe you got a different flesh. <laughs> Everyone's more spiritual, right? But like they say, the flesh never matures. It's always it's a constant warfare that goes on there, right? And it'll tell you, man, just relax. You can sin just a little bit. Nobody's perfect. You know, if you've overcome just about all your trials this week, what's watching an R-rated movie? What's the big deal? You've done really good this week. What's one little thing, right? <laughs> Oh boy, don't make that mistake or having a few drinks or whatever or whatever it is your flesh wants to indulge in. Because we have the principle given in 1 Samuel 15, Saul was told to utterly destroy all that the Amalekites had. He said, God told him, I don't want you sparing anything. Don't spare man or woman. Don't even spare the infants, the nursing babies. Don't spare any ox or sheep, camel or donkeys. And Saul destroyed almost everything. He said, now we kept some of these sheep so we could give offerings to the Lord. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? And he says, the only other thing I spared is this king here, Agag. I spared him. And Samuel said, you should have listened to me and not spared anything. Because to obey is better than sacrifice. And the fact that you didn't do what God told you to do, you spared your flesh. I mean, you spared some of the Amalekites, Agag, and that stuff. He says it's rebellion. You've got to obey him. So, no matter how you dress it up, we are told to do what? Crucify the flesh with its affections and lust. That's what it says in Galatians 5. And guess what happened? After he tells Saul, hey, you made a major mistake, guess what Samuel did? He said, I want Agag to come here. So he called for Agag. And it says Agag came to him delicately, delicately. And he said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And isn't that how your flesh will plead with you sometimes? Surely the bitterness of death is past. You've done enough today. You don't need to kill me too, do you? Surely it's past, right? And what did Samuel do to Agag? He took a sword and it said he hacked him to pieces before the Lord, right? You know why? Because Agag would always be God's enemy and he deserved no mercy. And guess what? Our flesh will always be God's enemy and we can give it no mercy, Hey, I'm preaching to myself. You all can leave the room. I'm preaching to myself. We all have to be reminded of that. That's the message we heard when way back when, and, then, and it's still alive and well. It's still what we need to do. The crucified life deserves no mercy. And so look what we have here in verse 13. Paul says, hey, as a result of that, he says, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do crucify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And the first part of that, the beginning of verse 13, you know what that is? That's a warning, isn't it? It's a warning. And you're out there thinking, man, you said at the beginning of all this that you were going to preach on the security of the believer. What are you doing? (laughs) Well, I am. I am. Because eternal security in the Bible, we have to understand that it is never taught apart from what? Perseverance. It's never taught that you can just live however you want to and you can be eternally secure, right? So included in no condemnation is the perseverance of the saints in faith and holiness. So listen to what this man, Jeff Wilson, listen to this quote of his. I thought this was really good. He says, we dare not mistake a false sense of security in sin from a true experience of salvation from sin that's important to get that we dare not mistake a false sense of security in sin and I think some people they want to hear these messages about adoption and sonship and no condemnation and think it gives them a security and they know they're not living right we're not designed to have security when we're not living right right? So we can earn it, and if you miss it, God's not casting you out over all that, but we have got to repent and get things right if we need to. We dare not mistake a false sense of security in sin from a true experience of salvation from sin. And so the elect, the ones that are going to make it in the end, they are the ones that give heed to the warnings of Scripture that's the way that works they're not going to ignore them and thus they'll be secure their security is that they listen to the warnings right? don't ignore them the warnings of scripture they're not something to be like oh man this is just making me upset they're a blessing and you read the book of hebrews the book of hebrews has warnings like every two chapters there's major warnings in there and here's some of them it's full of them He says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Or how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Or take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Or now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And I could have given you a bunch more just out of the book of Hebrews. Warnings, right? And you say, man, those scriptures, they just get me unsettled. They just increase my fears. But listen, they're meant to be a blessing. Look at them that way. They really are. Let me talk about it this way. So about 15 years ago, my family and I, we went out to Colorado. We made the uncle trip. I had three uncles that lived out west, two in new mexico and one in colorado so there's one in new mexico he's telling us at the time that he's got about six months to live he's dying of cancer that's what he tells us so he's taking us on a tour of the area where he lives and he drives us up this really steep mountain and this road this narrow road and <laughs> got a steep drop off on there and signs are posted if i remember maybe let's just say they were okay danger don't drive close to the berm. Death could result. There's these signs. And we're driving up this road in this car. has me and my family and my uncle that has six months to live. And here's these signs. Danger. Death could result. You get too close to the road. I believe the signs. I did. But my uncle, he apparently couldn't read English. Either that or I think he's thinking... Well, I've only got six months to live. What's the big deal? That's what I kept thinking to myself. Well, what's he worried about? He's saying he's dying of cancer. But me? Jennifer was just born. She's nursing back there. I'm young. I got a family. I'm kind of looking forward to a few. Years. I got my failure. here. I'm like, what in the world? So to me, the sign was a blessing. And if he would have given heat to it, it would have really given me peace and security. Right? right? So staying a few feet inside the edge of that road is security less fear. So I'm saying if we'll just give heed to the warnings God gives us, they're a blessing to us, right? The only way you have anything to be concerned about is if you're just going to ignore them and do what they say not to do. Amen? That's not hard. So the warning that if we live according to the flesh, that's a fact. If you do that, you will die. It's a warning. But he's saying that's not for us, is it? He's saying, but you, you've got the spirit in you. And he says, if you through the spirit, which he's assuming they will, that's the assumption there, crucify the deeds of the body, he says, we shall live. Amen. was well, anybody here planning on just letting their flesh go wild? Right? Are we making plans to crucify the flesh? That's what we'll do. But well, listen, that word for mortify is a very strong word if you got a King James mortify, because like we said with gag and all, you've got to be drastic with your flesh. And so Paul's using that word there. It means to kill somebody. That's what that word mortify means. Or to hand them over to be executed and given the death sentence. He's saying that's the way you've got to look at your flesh. Because the desires and passions of our flesh can be strong. Can't they? Am I giving news to anybody in here? They can be very strong. And the flesh doesn't want to lie down. It wants to beg and plead and fight. It's persistence. And I'm saying a literal war is taking place. That's what the Bible teaches us, isn't it? Well, let's see that. Between the Spirit in us and our flesh, a war takes place. Turn over to Galatians 5, if you would. And we'll see that here. This is Paul's other version of Romans 8. Galatians 5, verse 14, it says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and what will happen then, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And here's the war, verse 17. For the flesh, it lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary. They're against each other. They're at war. Contrary, the one to the other so that you can't just do anything you want is what he's saying there. Verse 18, and remember this for the end of the message, but if you be led of the Spirit, in other words, you're going to overcome the flesh. You are not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have past tense, crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, or envying one another. So he's saying just what he said, end of verse twenty one, just what he said in Romans eight. If you live after the flesh, You'll not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you won't make it. You'll die. And he says, Those that are Christ, they've crucified that and other things, what's listed there. And he says, I could have kept going with that list, the list of the flesh, right? We're not freed from the law to live any way we want, are we? That's not what happens when we're freedom. We still have to serve. And we saw that in Galatians. If you'll go back to Romans 8. And Actually, just go back one chapter. In my Bible, it's on the same page. But look at Romans 7, 6. So I'm saying we're not free to just do whatever we want to, to just partake of our flesh. So Romans 7, 6 says, but now we're delivered from the law to live however we want to. He says, no. That being dead, wherein we were held, why were we delivered from the law? That we should serve. Galatians, it said, serve one another. Not to do whatever you want, but to serve one another. And here he says, serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. That's the liberty we've been called to. Not to indulge our flesh. That's not what, hey, I'm free, I'm under grace. Not to indulge your flesh. That's not what the Bible teaches. But we're freed that we can now serve one another and God in love. That's what the Christian life is all about. So listen, everybody has got a yoke. We're not going to get away from that. So true freedom's not saying I'm not going to have a yoke. Some are wearing the yoke of Satan. Some are. Plowing his field, yielding to the flesh, the pleasures of sin. But that is a yoke of slavery. It's a yoke of bondage, right? He that commits sin is a slave of sin. And so ask that person that can't control and doesn't even try to control their anger if they're free. Ask that person that is just can't get enough money, is working all the time, and consumed with building up their empire if they feel free. Ask that person that is just addicted, it can't get away from these video games. Ask them how happy they really are, how joyful their life really is. Ask them if they feel free. But hey, there's another yoke there's those that are wearing the yoke of Christ. So, Christianity is not a freedom from wearing a yoke, as we said. It's exchanging one yoke for another. Not freedom to do whatever you want. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden with that burden of sin. He says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And hearted. he says, you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the yoke is easy, but it is still death. <laughs> my sister, when I first got saved, she had this picture. She's cutting my hair one day. And I'm looking at, she's got this poster in her kitchen, and it says, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. <laughs> and to a large degree, that is true. I've never forgot that. I thought, wow, I've sat there and kept looking at that as I'm getting my hair cut. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> truth will set you free, but first it's gonna make you miserable. So there's freedom in the cross, amen? There's true freedom in Christianity, but the death of the flesh can be painful, right? Who wants to tell me they're just enjoying themselves when they're fasting? I mean, Jesus has to say, you got to wash your face and appear happy unto men, right? But there's always that blessing inevitably that comes afterwards. But your flesh sure doesn't like it. And it'll give you a million reasons why not to fast, why to go off your fast early, 101 other things. And if you'll just crucify that flesh, God will make the blessing so much more worth it. It's just like your flesh wants to let everybody know how much you gave. But you've got to kill that. And just trust God that he will reward you, and in so many ways he does. Amen. And that's the way it works. Crucifying the flesh is painful, but it yields a great blessing. And that's what Paul is calling us here in Romans eight thirteen. He's saying life is found in death. And so that's his way of saying what Jesus said in Mark 8. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. He says if you're going to follow him, that we need to take up our cross and follow Jesus to the place of execution because that is where our Lord is leading us. He's asking us to put to death every use of our body, every use of our body that is contrary to serving God and serving others. And so it's as simple as this. There is a kind of life which leads to death and there is a kind of death that leads to life. That's what the Bible teaches. And so the question then becomes, who's gonna execute our flesh? Who's gonna do that, is it God? You know, you hear that old expression and you find it in books, let go and let God, that's not biblical. Who's gonna do it? We are the ones, didn't he say? We have to be the ones to crucify our flesh, to put it to death. Now, it can only be done through the power of the Spirit, but we are the ones that have to take the initiative. We're the ones. We have to do it by faith. We have to trust Him that as we obey Him and put to death our flesh, He gives us the power to do it. It's the man with the withered hand. So we look at ourselves and it says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. We can't put ourselves to death in that sense. The man with the withered hand had nothing to stretch out. And yet Jesus commanded him, stretch forth your hand. If he's looking at himself, he'd say, I can't. But he still had to, didn't he? Didn't he have to stretch it forth? And as he did, what happened? The power of God met him that enabled him to do what he couldn't do. And that principle carries forth in the crucified life. He tells us to walk in holiness, to crucify lust. And you're thinking, my body and my flesh just cries out. And he says, no, you can do it through the power of the Spirit. Control your mind. Put away from you those things. Look the other way with your eyes. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome that. I will deliver you from those desires that are just manipulating you and controlling you. But we have to take the initiative. We have to determine we are going to crucify our flesh. Whatever it is, whether it's gossip, lust, anger, whatever the sin God's dealing with you about, we have to be ruthless with our flesh. You don't taper off sin or excuse it. Martin Lloyd Jones said this He says, We must totally repudiate everything we know to be wrong and not even think about how to satisfy the desires of the flesh. And I liked what he said here. We have to pull it out, look at it, denounce it, hate it for what it is. He says, then you have really dealt with it. I thought that was good. Pull it out. This sin, your flesh, denounce it, hate it. Do that with anger. You got an anger issue? Look at the results. Look at the damage it causes in marriage, marriages and with children and even in your own body. Look at it. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, the Bible says. And when you see that, then denounce it. Then hate it. Put it to death. Be ruthless with it or with lust. Look at the results. Pull it out. Look at it. Look at someone that is enslaved to their lust, enslaved to pornography, enslaved in an illicit relationship. It makes you feel unclean. It destroys your prayer life. It absolutely destroys it. And they now have scientific studies that are out that it actually will affect single people when they get married because it messes with their brain being on pornography because God never designed us to be that way. And these guys, their marriages, they can't perform their marriages because of looking at all this pornography. It's the only way they know to be Whatever. They've got to get these unregenerates, they're saying, you've got to abstain from pornography if you want to get back to having a normal marriage. That's what it's doing to people. And this country is just addicted to that. The Internet can be a blessing, but it overall, I would say, has been a curse on this nation for that reason. Right? And here's what Jesus said. Did he say to taper off of lust? Uh-uh. He said what Martin Louis, Joy jones says. You take it out and you have to crucify it. No mercy. He says, if you right right-eye-offend thee, then you pluck it out. And that literally means you tear it out. Get behind there and you take it out. And he says, and cast it from thee. Throw it away. Because you're denouncing it. You're seeing where that's taken you. That's how you have to deal with lust. Take it out. Cast it from thee. Jesus said, for it is profitable for thee. That one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, that's how serious it is. And he says that with your hand, with your foot, with anything of the flesh. That is how serious it is. How serious he says we have to deal with it, tear it out and throw it from you. So we have to control our mind and wage war and be ruthless, cut a gag to pieces, as we talked about, or he'll conquer you and drag you to hell. That's what Jesus said, and that's what will happen. So we have to deal with sin like you would deal with cancer. You get in there and you cut it out because if you let it spread, it will take you down. Right? <laughs> or as Genesis four, what was said there, sin is crouching at your door. It's crouching at all of our doors. And everyone has a sin God's dealing with them about. And he says in Genesis 4, 7, that that sin, it wants to dominate you. It has a desire for you. But God said what to Cain? He said, you must master him. It's almost like sin has a personality. And doesn't it seem that way at times? Your flesh. So the Spirit will do what? Give us a strategy. He will show us how to overcome our flesh. And so we can't claim anymore all oh, the sin that's in me, I can't help it. Romans 7 18 and 19. God has given us the tools we need. He's given us His Word, He's given us His Spirit. So, since the flesh is so strong, I think we need to have strong motives to overcome the flesh, don't we? And God's given us two of them here. He says, number one, He says, we're in debt. The Spirit has given you life. The flesh has given you nothing. The motivation is to the spirit of life. We're indebted to him. We have an obligation to him. And the other thing is, he's saying that the pathway of crucifying your flesh is the only way to life, to experience life. And over in Romans six sixteen, he says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto death. To righteousness. And he says down in verse 20, For you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you're now ashamed? Those things you used to do, you're ashamed of. He says, For the end of those things is death. But look in verse 22, he says, But now, being made free from sin and become slaves to God, he says, You have fruit unto holiness, and that fruit leads to what? The end of that is what? Everlasting life. Isn't that what we want? That is the way it is. It's worth it, isn't it? Putting our flesh to death. It opens up what real life is all about. Authentic life, if you want to put it that way. And where is that found? It's found on the path of holiness. The highway of holiness it talks about in the Bible. In Psalm 16, 11 says this. He says, you will show me the path of life. Show me the path of life, that life, that path of holiness. And at the end of that is this. He says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures for evermore. That's where true happiness and pleasure is found, on that path of righteousness. That's Psalm 23. Our good shepherd will lead us on paths of righteousness and holiness. And so the world thinks that a holy life is a life of bondage and a burden, but it's really true freedom. So Zacharias, when his eyes are open, John the Baptist, and his tongue is loosed, it says he's filled with the Spirit and begins to prophesy. And one thing he says is Abraham was promised this, that God would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. He's saying that is a blessing that we can be delivered from our enemies and serve God in holiness and righteousness. Zechariah saying that's the kind of life we want to live. That's where true happiness and pleasure is found. And the world is just deceiving us. They don't like the, the Bible. They say it's bondage. But it is our privilege, isn't it? to be able to live that way as sons of god to be led by the spirit and that brings us lastly to here in verse fourteen what does it say there for as many as are led by the spirit of god it says they are the sons of god so listen to be led of the spirit doesn't mean that i heard a voice this voice telling me what to do like you know the spirit led me to come to your house at four in the morning to share this scripture with you that's not what it's talking about right and God does give direction through his voice it's all through the bible so i'm not saying that doesn't ha- it happens all the time that's not what he means here by being led of the spirit he's talking about it's connected to verse 13 those that have crucified the flesh he says for as many as are led by the spirit of god he's connecting it back to verse 13 those that crucify the flesh and yield to the spirit those are the ones that's what it means to be led by the spirit influenced By his presence and his power to manifest the fruits of the Spirit. That's what it's talking about. And that was back when we read Galatians 5, remember, after he says the Spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the Spirit. And they're contrary one to another. The next thing he talks about is that you are not under the law. Those that are led by the Spirit are not under the law. In other words, they've won that battle. They're not under the law, not under its power, its condemnation. They manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, against such there is no law. So we as Christians are now led, governed, directed, enlightened, persuaded by the Spirit of God. And we walk in the Spirit. He is the one that is empowering and leading our lives, not our flesh. Amen. That's the way it is. He leads like a gentleman. He doesn't drive us. He doesn't browbeat us, right? He's a gentleman about it. He is. He's represented as a dove. And so when he deals with us, which he does, it says we can grieve him, can't we? We can quench the spirit. He's a gentleman, but how does he lead us? And I would say three things to end with. We can know by his name by his character names in the bible will reveal people's character and that's what the names of the holy spirit do and he's described as the spirit of truth and that means he's always going to lead us in a way that is consistent with his character of truth john 14 26 he says but the comforter of the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that i said unto you In John 16, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. That's the way he'll lead us. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. And So that worked out two ways with the apostles he brought to mind the things he had taught them he revealed truth to them and that is how we have our scriptures and with us we're not writing the Bible anymore are we he's not revealing truth to us in that way but he enables us to understand what is written in the Bible amen and then gives us the power to obey that truth and in that sense he leads and guides us in all truth So here is a fundamental principle that all of us, especially the young people, need to understand. The Holy Spirit will never lead his children contrary to the scriptures. Always will be in line with the scriptures. So he doesn't lead us to tell somebody off. He doesn't lead us to marry an unbeliever, right? He doesn't lead us to lie. He's not leading us to gossip. He's not leading us to steal and on and on. Whatever God's leading me to do, it's going to be totally in line with his word or it's not God. We've had people do some really strange things saying God's led them to do something. That's where you have to know the Bible to know whether God's leading you. But that's how he leads you is through the truth. And the second name and how we know he can lead us, he's called the spirit of holiness. And that's in Romans 1, 4. And so it's his ministry to make God's children holy. That's what he's come in us to do. So look at it this way. Moses went up on the Mount Sinai, and he came down. What did he come down with from the presence of God? The Ten Commandments, tablets of stone. And they couldn't keep them, could they? And so what did Jesus do? Moses ascended to the mountain. Jesus ascended in the resurrection. And what did he do? He sent down his Holy Spirit. And what happened when that happened? The result to God's people. Listen to Hebrews 8.10, which this is a quote out of Jeremiah 31. This is talking about the new covenant. He says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel and us after those days. This is Hebrews 8.10. saith the Lord. He says, I will put my laws into their mind And I'll write them in their hearts. That's what he does. The spirit of holiness. No longer external tablets of stone. He says, I'll write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God. And they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. And so how is that law written on our hearts? That law. That law. The minds and hearts if you would please this is the last place turn to Ezekiel 36 Ezekiel 36 verses 25 to 27 he says and this is what salvation is all about he says then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols God says I will cleanse you and look what he says in verse 26 a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will i put within you and i will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and i will give you an heart of flesh verse 27 and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them so we don't need external laws guiding us telling us what to do do we the spirit of god within us will cause us to walk in the righteousness of the law. That's what it's saying. So as we read and meditate on the word, God uses that, internalizes it. As we go out in this world, we don't need little laws and regulations over every situation, right? Those principles are working in us by the Holy Spirit. They let us know what to do, right? That's how God leads us by his spirit, to walk in the spirit. Amen? That is what he does. The law is written on our hearts. And Back in Romans 8, the third and last way, I believe, and maybe many others, but the third way we talk about how we are led by the Spirit of God is by His name He is called, as we read earlier, He is the Spirit of Christ. It says that in verse 9. He says He will reveal Christ to us. We read that. Not only going to do that, but He's bringing us into His image, conforming us to His image. Amen? That's what he's doing, leading us that way. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Him inside of us is the one that is changing us as we behold Jesus like we're doing in Mark, as we do in the whole Bible. We behold him. That spirit within us is conforming us more and more into his image. That is what should be happening to all of us. Amen? Don't know if it's happening like it should be, but that is the purpose. Him dwelling in us will change us to look more like Jesus, and then the song should become the reality. You say, what song? The one we sing all the time. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like him all through life's journey from earth to glory. All I ask is to be like him. And that's one of those songs do we really mean it when we sing it. We got to ask ourselves, amen, because that's a mouthful right there, isn't it? But that's what God's purpose is, right? And that song will be the reality of those of verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Those are the ones that are the sons of God, the ones that are led by the Spirit, right? So let's consider for a moment what great privilege God has given us that we're called the sons of God and start believing that we are what God says we are and start getting back to where we're going to crucify our flesh and not let it have its way. That's convicting for me as I stand here today. Got to get back to that message. It's not one you're going to throw your Bibles in the air. But listen, that is truly how God loves us, that he enables us to crucify our flesh, to be delivered from our flesh and to live in the spirit of life. So listen, behold What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, all of us in this room, that we, us, should be called the sons of God. Therefore, because of that, the world knows us not because it knew Him not, but He says, Beloved, now, not down the road, He says, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and every man that has this hope in him does what? Crucifies his flesh purifies himself Do you have a hope to see the Lord Jesus Christ one day and to be in his image and see him face to face he says every man that has that hope purifies himself even as he is pure wow But that's the love that God has bestowed on us. 1 John 3. Man, that's the privilege that we should be called sons of God. We can be conformed to his image. We don't have to live according to the flesh. He's given us the spirit of life to set us free from the power, verse 2, of sin and death. And we have a debt, an obligation to him to put to death the flesh, anything against his will. That's what he's given us to do. That we may glorify him as his sons and daughters. And we're going to stick out the ones that stick with it in these end times. And as Paul said in Philippians, that we should be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And that's the way it'll be for us. Before that rapture takes place, we're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Amen. And that's what we'll do in Shelbyville Christian Assembly in the coming days by God's grace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you'll impress on all of us the privilege and honor and the love that you've bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. and that. You've given us of your spirit and you dwell and walk in us as we go day by day through this life. Father, help us to keep in mind that you are in us, that we are your temple and to be conscious of that and make us conscious that we should be what you say we are, Lord, sons of God that will be crucifying our flesh, not letting the flesh have its way. Amen. We fulfill our obligation to you, Lord, and, f- and through that also, Father, that we can experience your life, your joy, your peace. Help us to do that on a daily basis. Take up our cross that we may know you more. And I ask you to do that for us in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.